We all face setbacks. They, uh, they rarely make appointments with us. Uh, they never put themselves on our calendar. They just have a way of showing up in our lives, struggles and, and, and obstacles and, and challenges. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're going to face them, and since we're going to face them, let's ask, how, how are we going to respond? You've, pro- you've probably heard someone say what happens to us is not as important as how we react to what happens to us. We, we have limited control over some of the things that happen to us, that happen in our life, but we have a lot of control over how we respond to those things. That's kind of the idea of this series, and we've, we've walked through a couple of different topics asking how do we come back from that? How do we respond to that? What would be the right way to respond? Um, we, we plan our messages a couple of months in advance, our series and our, and our messages, and and so uh, a couple of months ago is when we were talking about this series, maybe back right before Christmas, we were kind of planning out this part of the year, and uh, we, we chose this series, and I chose the topic for today, and a couple of months ago, it was a great idea. It was like a great idea about four months ago. The last two weeks, it has not seemed like such a great idea. Sometimes I, I get to actually having to, to preach on whatever I decided to preach on, and I think, what were you thinking? Like, why, why did you think this was a good idea? Uh, it, it is a heavy subject, and there's no way for me to make it lighter. It would be inappropriate for me to make it lighter. This is a, this is a heavy subject. We're going to talk about coming back from grief. What do you do when you walk through the paths of grief how how can you respond what can you expect in your life and uh, like i said there's no 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 way to make that funny there's no way to make that light it just kind of sits with us it kind of stays with us I, i don't know that we commit whole services to grief very much in the church i don't think i have in the past we talk about grief at funerals but uh, we don't talk about it specifically as much in church, and, and I kind of think maybe we should every once in a while because the reality is we all go through it. And if you haven't been through it, you're going to go through it. If you're not in it now, you will eventually be in it. It will visit you. So, so let me say at the outset, we got about 30 minutes uh, this morning, and there is no way to cover all the aspects of grief in 30 minutes. There's just not. I, I'm not sure I'm qualified to cover all of the aspects of grief, but even if I were, it would be impossible to do that in 30 minutes. We have a grief share group, community group here at our church, and they meet every week, and it's, it's people who are walking through grief, and, and they study God's Word together, and they share, and they, they walk through some really important principles uh, about grief and, and, and how to let God bring us through seasons of grief. If you need a next step after this message, I'd be glad to put you in contact with the folks who lead that group. It's a valuable ministry here at our church, but let's be honest, a couple of months isn't enough either. 30 minutes, three months, it, it, there's really not a timeline with grief. This is one of the things that makes it so difficult to put our arms around is there's, there's not a timeline when you should be past it or when you should be through it. The reality is grief lasts as long as it lasts. Those of you who have been through grief, you know this. Grief lasts as long as it lasts. It stays as long as it stays. It gets better and then it revisits. You make progress and then you lose that progress. This is the beautiful and bizarre and painful path of grief. 
it lasts as long as it lasts. Um, there are even some griefs, the, the heavier griefs, they never completely go away. They leave their mark on us and they're just there. They are now a part of who we are and we carry them with us. H having said that, grief doesn't always feel the same at every stage. Like there is an, an initial, usually an initial overwhelming sense of loss or, or, or hopelessness or, or darkness or lack of interest in almost anything. And that changes over time. Grief does change. It doesn't always feel the exact same way. But grief doesn't necessarily end either. It doesn't run its course and then we're over it. We don't come to a finish line. Grief just lasts as long as it lasts. I, I've mentioned each week that there are specific challenges with each of the topics that we're going to take up. With grief, we could spend the rest of our 30 minutes lasting, uh, listing the challenges of grief. Here's the one I want to present to you, though, today, is that the challenge with grief is the finality of it, the finality. There is an ending. There are some things that stop. There is a before and there is an after when it comes to grief. This is what our life was like before. This is now what our life is like after. There is a finality. When it comes to, to grief, there's not the opportunity to go back and redo something. You don't get to revisit something from the past. You don't get to say something that you didn't say. You don't get to unsay or apologize for something you did say. You don't get to do something that you thought about doing before. There is this painful finality when it comes to grief, which, which gives me an opportunity to, to just quickly say, if there is something you need to say to someone, now is the time. If there is something you've been thinking about doing or saying or unsaying or apologizing for, don't wait and wait and wait and wait. When you get to the point of grief, there is this very painful and very obvious finality to it. Um, before we jump too far in, let me say and let me allow for the fact that there are a variety of items that you might grieve for we we tend to think of grief as losing a person to death losing someone from our lives that's the one we normally think of in many ways that is the hardest of the griefs that we face but certainly we grieve a lot of things we grieve anytime something is lost an opportunity is lost maybe a relationship is lost. Something was there and it's not, not there anymore. We often go through the same stages or, or emotions of grief, e even if it's not life or death. Having said that, <clears throat> again, I keep appealing to 30 minutes. In 30 minutes, I can't kind of chase down all of those. Uh, I, I can't keep saying which applies to what, and so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that for you. You know where you are. You know the things that you grieve, and I trust that God can walk us through this discussion to kind of keep us on track, to kind of move us in a direction. I want to go to an Old Testament story that features grief at its core, and there are a lot of those. You, you could probably think of several Old Testament stories that have grief 
in the story or even at the center of the story. Job comes to mind, right? Job is a story of grief and how we manage our relationship with God as we go through uh, grief. When you read the life of King David, he went through multiple periods of grief in his life. I, I want to go to a smaller book. This is the book of Ruth. Maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe not. It's a very small book close to the beginning, about a fourth of the way through the Bible. It comes after Joshua and Judges. So Joshua, Judges, Ruth, a little bitty four-chapter book. It's the story of a man and his wife and their family and decisions that they make and tragedy that they encounter. This is how the story begins, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband it starts with the phrase in the days of the judges rule in the days of the judges ruled that orients us in some sense chronologically that puts it in a particular time frame on the calendar for the nation of Israel it happened during this time frame but it does more than give us a chronological view it tells us what the spiritual emotional temperature was in Israel at the time, specifically in Bethlehem, much in the same way as if I said to you during the Great Depression. Right? The phrase during the Great Depression orients you chronologically, right? Early 20th century, 1929, 1939, in that range. You know on the calendar where that fits chronologically, but you also know what that time was like. It was a difficult time. It was a challenging time. Perhaps we've heard uh, our grandparents talk about it, our great-grandparents talk about that time and the struggles of that time. It orients us not just chronologically but experientially to what was happening. The phrase, in the days the judges ruled, orients us the same way, not just chronologically but experientially. These were difficult times. Uh, Israel was swinging back and forth between order and chaos constantly. Back and forth. Order and chaos. Good times and bad times. Good leaders, bad leaders, and sometimes no leaders. And they were on a descent through that period. Ending up at the end of Judges with the line that ends the book of Judges, if you're open there, and it just says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Right? There were no rulers, there was no rules, it was wild, it was chaos, everybody just did whatever they wanted. This was a difficult time. To add to the difficult time, the narrator of Ruth says there was also a famine. These were hard times. And so, Elimelech and Naomi make the decision that it would be best for our family if we got out of here. 
It would be best for our family if we moved to another neighborhood, if we moved to another state. If we moved to this other place, we could protect our family better. We could guard our family better. It would be in our family's best interest to leave here and go somewhere new. Now, we can criticize them for a variety of reasons for making that decision, but the story reads as if their motivation was, we want a safer place. We want a safer place for our family and yet in that safer place that they desired to go to tragedy finds them grief finds them not just a little bit of grief a lot of grief the husband father dies the two sons die in the place that was supposed to be safe we were just doing what we thought we were supposed to do and we ended up here ever feel that way no people who have been in that situation we were just trying to make the best decision we thought this was the right decision and it turns out that tragedy visits us sometimes in the midst of the right decision here's one of the brutal facts about grief we have no control over when grief visits us we just we just have no control over when grief visits us we move to the better place the place we can protect our family better the place where we think we have things under control we go to this new place and it finds us life is going along perfectly well everything is working out the way we want it to until it doesn't this is one of the great challenges of grief it finds us hopefully it hasn't found you lately but the reality is it will find you eventually the reality is it visits all of us and i know both in the first service and in this service, Rich and Therese are, are an example. There are people that are processing huge grief in their life right here in our church. And I, I, I know at the same time, there's some who aren't, which is wonderful. I hope that's you. I hope you aren't. And so for some of you today, I'm just going to ask you to kind of tuck this in your back pocket because you're going to need it one day. Just kind of file this away wherever you file these sort of things because although you may not need it now, grief has a way of finding us it visits us even when we're trying to make the best decision after after this tragedy strikes naomi uh the mother-in-law now with two daughters-in-law naomi decides i'm going to go back to where i came from i'm going to go back to bethlehem i'm just going to go back to where my family is my support system is we haven't lived there in forever but i still know people there she had also heard that things were better in bethlehem things had improved in a variety of ways and so so she decides i'm gonna move I, i'm gonna take a step which is which is a principle to remember in grief in grief we have to take the next small step we just have to take the next small step and that small step may be really small initially it may be tiny what is the step i need to take to get through today what is the step i need to take to get through this week naomi looks around and says i i can't stay here i can't sit here forever i've got to make some decision i've got to make some move when we experience grief at some point we have to take a step we, we have to make a move. One of the reasons likely that she needed to take a step is because she had two young ladies looking to her for direction. 
Like when you've been through tragedy, when, when, when you've faced struggles, usually there are other people around you waiting to know what you're going to do. What's the step you're going to take? What's the decision you're going to take? Because it's going to affect us. Sometimes we have to make, take the next step because others are waiting for us to follow along in what they're struggling with. Now, this is a balance, I'll admit. There is a balance to this making a decision and, and making a decision because people are waiting for you. Uh, for one, there's kind of a general rule in grief. If you've ever been through a, a really uh, tragic event, somebody has probably said to you, in general, don't make any big decisions for at least a year. Right? And, and, and that's a good rule. It's not infallible. But when we're under the emotional weight of an immediate loss, then that can be not the best time to make a decision. It, it can be best to wait till we're more emotionally healthy, till we're, we're, we see things more clearly. But at some point, we have to step. some point, we have to step because people are watching us. People are waiting for us. People under us, our family, they're waiting for us to lead through great grief. Now, I, I mentioned there's a balance to that. Uh, when you fly, we've all been on airplanes. We, we get on the airplane, we take our seat, and uh, before you taxi away, they give you the speech, right? And none of us pay attention to the speech because we don't think we'll ever need the speech, and we've heard the speech, and they try to spice it up sometimes and make it funny, and it, it never works because it's the same speech. We know what they're going to say, but there's a part of the speech they get to every time that says, in case of emergency, mask will drop from the ceiling. You are to put your mask on and breathe normally, right? This plane may crash. Breathe normally. Just breathe normally. But if you're a parent, they have extra advice for you. The extra advice goes like this. If you are traveling with young children, put your mask on first and then put your child's mask on. And they have to tell us that because most parents, let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, most parents instinctively want to protect their child first. But in case of an emergency, if you try to help your child and you pass out, you're no longer any help to anybody. Right? So the instructions are, okay, make sure you have what you need, you have an oxygen supply, and then take care of your child. In moments of grief, that's, that's true. Right? Sometimes we got to put our mask on first. Sometimes we have to step back and say, okay, what do I need in this? How, how do I get healthy in this process before I can help someone else get healthy? But at some point in that process, probably before you're all the way to the end of that process, you got to start helping somebody else through that process as well, especially if you have children or if you, you have people that are depending upon you, like with the mask sort of thing. It's great to put your mask on first. That's really good advice. But if you put your mask on first and wait till the plane is landed to put your child's mask on, then the child's probably not going to make it, right? At some point, in the midst of the turbulence, you've taken care of yourself, and now you've got to bring this other one along as well, as we, as we walk through grief, there are times for us to, to put our mask on first. And, and there are times to turn and say, all right, we've got to make these decisions. We have to move forward. We have to do the next right thing. Naomi begins to make her journey back to Bethlehem. And her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, follow along with her. And 
Naomi perhaps realizes what she's asking of her daughters-in-law. They're not from Bethlehem. They don't have any family back there. They don't have a support system back there. So at some point, she turns to them and said, you ladies go back to your family. I'm going to my family. You go back to your family. I, I don't want you to give up everything that you have to come with me. I don't want you to walk away from all of your support just to come with me. You're grieving too. They had both lost husbands. You're grieving too. And so there is this moment where Naomi tries to separate from uh, Ruth and Orpah. And, and, and I also wonder if it's possible this is... This is Naomi's way of pushing people away in grief. You know that we do that sometimes? Like when we're hurting, when we're grieving, we can be tempted to isolate. I wonder if that, some of that's going on with Naomi. I just want to be alone. I want you to go away. Granted, there are times we need to be alone, but when we walk through grief, you and I need to be very careful about pushing people away that could be help and support and encouragement. To us it's difficult it, it, it's difficult to to re-engage relationships sometimes it's difficult um, to answer the same questions over and over again every time you see somebody new isn't it, 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 it it's, it's difficult to tell the story again and again and again and for those reasons and other reasons when we go through grief some of us are tempted to push people away, to isolate ourselves. Maybe some of that's going on in Naomi. Uh, I, I don't know. One of the daughters-in-law turns back and says, you're right, I'm going to go back to my family. But one of them, Ruth, says, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to walk through this together. You and I are going to face what we're facing, and we're going to face it together. And this is the point in the story where we get that that statement of commitment that we quote sometimes from Ruth, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Right? Don't tell me to go. That's how she starts. Don't tell me to go. Don't push me away. I'm going to stay. I'm committed to you. I'm walking with you. I'm going to be with you. Even in her own grief, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. One, one leaves at that point. One stays, principle to remember. Not everyone will walk all the way through your grief with you, and that's okay. Again, just kind of tuck this away for later. Not everyone's going to walk all the way through your grief with you, and that's okay. Not everybody can. Not everybody's available in that way. There are a lot of people in the early stages of your grief that are going to show up for you. They're going to show up, and they're going to bring a meal, and they're going to encourage you, and and they're going to send flowers, and they're going to be at the service, and they're going to surround you, but that group is slowly going to start to peel off. That's, that's human nature. It, it, it's okay. Some people are going to step in in the middle, maybe after you've worked through that initial pain of loss, and, and they're going to kind of step in. They're not even going to know all the details of everything that happened. They're just going to know it was bad, and you're hurting, and they want to be in your life for a little while. And some people are going to step in right at the end. They, all, they know almost nothing about what happened. They just know they want to be with you during this time. This is the way human relationships work. This is the way human interaction is. Not everybody goes the full distance with us and if we can remember in our grief that's okay i can take encouragement from this person for a little while and this person for a little while and this person 
for a little while. But there are some people that go the distance, right? Ruth was one of those people who just said, I'm staying. I'm staying the whole time. I'm not leaving. You can't push me away. You can't chase me away. You can't yell at me and make me go away. I'm staying. I'm here. I'm with you. And those are the precious few in our life. Those are the precious few. If you have those, they are treasures. They are like gold. I, I, I would add just a couple of things to that. And, and one is, in all likelihood, if you have that relationship, it's one that you've been building for a really long time. It's one that you have been in their life and they have been in your life for a really long time. Those relationships tend to be the ones that we have committed to and given ourselves to for a really long time. I mention that only because the tendency to isolate during this time, right during the current world we live in, the tendency to isolate and separate and pull out of groups and pull away from people and get mad at people really easy, that ultimately has terrible impacts on us when we go through difficult times. It is the people that we are investing in and are investing in us. It's the people that we are building deep and lasting relationships with that tend to show up and stay. To those of you who are not the ones grieving, say a couple things to you. If you can show up and stay, great. If you feel like you should show up and stay, great. If it's somebody you have a long history with, show up and stay. Show up and be committed. Keep checking in. Don't let them chase you away because they'll try to. Don't let them push you out because they'll try to. But if what you can give is not showing up and staying, but if you can give a little bit of the journey, give a little bit of the journey. Step in for a little while. Don't feel like you have to give everything in order to give something. Be that person that walks a couple of miles with them. Walks 100 feet with them. Be that person who shows up in their hurt, even if you can't go the whole way. Just show up. Back to the story, verse 19. So the two women, this is Naomi and Ruth. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be, be Naomi? They hadn't seen her in a while. She, she moved a long time ago. Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. They, they arrived back in Bethlehem. And, and if you've experienced grief, if you've experienced a, a, a big tragedy in your life, you know that every time you see somebody for the first time, it's like you relive the whole thing again through their eyes. Like if you've lost somebody close to you, and then like two weeks later you see somebody for the first time, and it's like you relive those emotions through that person's eyes. Naomi's walking back. She hadn't been here for a while. She's walking back. These are people she knew from childhood, and they're catching up with her life at this point. They're feeling what she has gone through. And Naomi is painfully honest about how she feels, if you didn't pick up on that. Like, don't, don't even call me that name anymore. 
I'm not the person I used to be. And in some ways, she's not. And in some ways, she'll never be that person again, right? In some ways. I'm not the person I used to be. I am bitter. I am hardened. I am broken. I am angry. I'm mad at God. Notice she blames God, which was not unprecedented in the Old Testament. It wasn't true. It wasn't true that God did this. But often in the Old Testament, people speak this way. God did this to me. This raw emotion spills out of Naomi, which reminds us, be honest about your emotions and even how you feel about God in grief. God can handle it. God can handle Naomi for a moment saying, God did this to me. I'm, God has made my life hard. God can handle that. Be honest about the emotions that you feel. We, we've said it sometimes. Other people say it. You feel what you feel in these moments, right? You feel what you feel. And there will come a time later when you should assess those emotions, perhaps. You should gain perspective on those emotions, perhaps. But in the beginning, you feel what you feel. Just say what you feel. Give it the name that you have for it. Don't worry about whether it's the right name or whether you should feel this. You feel what you feel. And here's Naomi's demonstration of that. This is what I feel. I don't feel like Naomi anymore. I'm bitter. I'm broken. I'm mad at God. And I don't want to talk to you. This is Naomi's perspective in this moment. Notice... We don't get a response from Ruth at this point. And it may be that she feels differently. It may just be that the narrator didn't include her thoughts. And it may be that culturally it wasn't Ruth's place to speak. It may be that Ruth is in a foreign place, so why would she speak? But when we look at the life of, of Ruth going forward, we don't see this harsh bitter response there's a moment coming in in chapter two where somebody's got to got to go get a job right somebody's got to go get food we've got to eat naomi is still too crushed in her discouragement and despair to even go outside of the house and so ruth says i'll go i'll do it i'll go i can go i can go find a place to work i can go find us some resources which which reminds us everyone moves through grief at their own pace we see in this story, everyone moves through grief at their own pace. It's not a race. It's not a rush to the end. We've said before, it's not a you should be over it by now. You can't measure your journey through grief with anybody else's journey through grief. If you get encouragement in some way from other people's story, wonderful. But you can't measure yourself against them because you're not them. You're traveling a road of grief that is uniquely your own. Not that others haven't experienced grief. It's just it's your turn. It's your time. And it's not 100% like anybody else's. It's yours. You feel what you feel. You walk through it at the pace that you walk through it. We all go through it at different paces. There's a stages of grief, which are important and, and can be very valuable and somebody way smarter than me came up with it okay so valuable but it's not valuable to think well everybody just goes through those in a linear fashion if you just walk from one to two to three to four to five then you're out don't pass go don't collect two hundred dollars you're just out spit you out on the other side but nobody goes through the stages of grief that way 
People don't go one, two, three, four, five. They go one, three, two, one, one, four, three, seven, four. You're going to walk through it as you're going to walk through it. Naomi and Ruth are walking through their grief at different paces. Listen to verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the last line of chapter 1. Now, it didn't have chapters when they wrote it. But in our Bible, this is the last line of chapter 1, and it is a fitting place to pause. If this were uh, a Netflix series, this is where you would end the first episode, credits would roll, and then the little sign would say, next episode starts in 5, 4, 3, Right. This is where you would end one episode and you would get ready for the next episode because this episode, this ending, tells us something about the past and the future. And they arrived as the barley harvest was beginning. Everything up to this point has been tragic has been loss, has been dark, has been hopelessness. There was a famine. They were living in the times of the judges. They went away hoping to find a better life, but three people died in that other life. Now they've come back and they're still bitter, but at the end of chapter one, there's this little light. There's this little flicker of hope. They arrived as the barley harvest was beginning. They arrived as life was coming back. They arrived as hope was coming back, as resources were starting to come back. When we grieve, in grief, it's okay to see and celebrate the good that's happening in the middle of your grief. You're not saying I'm over it just because you see that this part is pretty good. You're not dishonoring anyone's memory when you say something good's happening in this area of my life. Still trying to get through this area, still trying to walk through grief, still trying to walk through difficult times, but I see that something good could happen here. It is okay to acknowledge that even in the worst of your moments, even in the hardest of your times, even in the darkest places, it's okay to say there's just a little bit of light up there. Just, it's not a forest fire yet. It's not a beam. It's just, like, just a little bit right over there. It's a little bit of hope. Just a little bit of light. Those of you who have been through difficult times of grief, you can relate to the fact that in that moment, you can be telling a story and be laughing at one second and five seconds later be a puddle of tears, right? This is the painful reality of grief. But it is okay to laugh and celebrate when something good is there. Because God is saying something at the end of chapter 1. And what God is telling us is chapter 1 is not going to be the end. Chapter 1 is not going to be the end. It was full of hurt and brokenness and sorrow and difficulty and grief. But it's just chapter 1. And there's a chapter 2 coming. And there's a chapter 3 coming. And there's a chapter 4 coming. And if you know the story, 
This little glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1, this barley harvest, which seems like too much information, like why do we need to know that? It seems irrelevant to the story. This becomes the environment for everything God is about to do. And nobody knows that at the end of chapter 1. Nobody. Ruth doesn't know it. Naomi doesn't know it. Nobody knows it but God. That at the end of this darkest moment, God is giving an environment where he's about to do something incredible. And if you know the rest of the story, we don't have time to get to all the details of the rest of the story. Before the rest of the story, God works in a barley field to bring a future and a hope and to bring joy, not just to them, and we find out at the end of the story, this barley field becomes part of God's ultimate story because they're going to be the grandparents of a king and through the line of that king is going to come the Savior. And it started in darkness in chapter 1 and just a barley field at the end. Yeah, if, you're, if you're grieving, if you're struggling if it's difficult just to put one foot in front of the other i can promise you chapter one is not the end of your story your story is not going to end in chapter one god has more to write god has more to tell now i don't want to be simplistic and i don't want to be insensitive that doesn't erase the pain of chapter one that's not what i'm saying we don't forget chapter one much of chapter 1 becomes a part of us. Those scars become a part of us. They shape who we are. We carry them in our heart. It doesn't erase chapter 1. God's just not done in chapter 1. God's bringing something new after chapter 1. Grief wounds. Grief hurts. Grief stays for however long it stays. It's just not the end. And it won't be the end for you. Would you pray with me? God, hard subjects are hard and heavy. But you are with us in them. Chapter 1 is hard and dark and there's full of brokenness. But right at the end, you tell us this isn't the end. There's more to come. I'm going to keep telling this story and it's going to be glorious. God, I pray for any person here that's walking through grief, that's walking through hurt, walking through tragedy and struggle, that they will cling to the truth that there's a barley harvest at the end of chapter 1. There's hope at the end of our hurt. There's light at the end of our suffering. You are a good God. You comfort us well. So I pray for those who have needs today that you will meet them in that need. You will meet them in that sorrow and you will lead them forward. I pray it in Jesus' name. If you're here, you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be down front. You don't have to tell me your story if you don't want to. If you just want somebody to pray with you, 
I'll pray with you. Let's stand. Let's worship together.